Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, my guest on today's podcast is my new friend, as we've just been visiting, Madison Frederick. Welcome to the podcast, Madison. Thank you. Uh, Madison um, has written a new book. It's called Untangle the Web of Narcissism, From Deceit to Chaos to, Chaos to Finding Your Sanity. And we've done about 700 and some odd podcasts, and I think we've done one or two or three that touched on somebody in a narcissistic relationship. And I recognize that is the reality of some people's lives. And I've learned a lot about um, narcissistic people from some of my prior guests. And so I'm grateful that Madison's um, going to be on the podcast. Um, we'll link to her book in the show notes. That it's, it's at Amazon. It was released in early September of 2023. Madison is in her early 70s. Um, she's married. Um, I think she's a mom and a grandma and lives in Utah. She's not a Latter-day Saint, um, but we have lots of people with wonderful insights that come on this podcast that aren't connected with our faith. Although generally this is an LDS-themed podcast, so I have a hunch the things Madison will share will be helpful to um, all faiths, including our faith community. Um, I think she's going to talk about, you know, her father and her former husband. So she's not writing about this sort of theoretically. I think she's writing about this from a perspective. This is my lived experience and what I've learned and what I want to help others, probably particularly women, um, recognize um, men that are narcissists. I guess it's possible to reverse, but I think most of the relationships are um that in that way where it's a male that's the narcissist and a controlling manipulative behavior. So I don't know too much about the subject, so I better stop talking and get Madison talking. We're trying to do this a little shorter just because I'm a little pressed for time today. We usually give our guests about an hour and I've just asked Madison to try to do this in about 30 to 40 minutes um, so that um, you can get an overview of her story so you can connect with her book. Is that okay for an introduction, Madison? It's fine. Sounds okay. good. Thank you. We will get you talking. So share your story, Madison. Okay. Um, basically, in a nutshell, my dad was a narcissist. And I want to start from um, telling a little bit of, of stories of, of uh, um, demonstrating how that came to be. First thing out of the gate, when I was born and we went to um, church for a blessing, to give me my name. The first time my birth mom heard my name was at that meeting. She thought we were they were going to name me um, Julianne and come to find out that's not what, what dad had decided. And that was typical of the way he did things. He always got his way and whatever he said is what, what happened. Um, they ended up getting a divorce when I was three and he bullied her basically into telling her that she wasn't good enough or capable enough to raise me and therefore he needed full custody. So we moved in with my grandparents and I was extremely happy. Uh, my grandparents lived uh, a spiritual life and we went to church every Sunday. I was involved in some of the, the programs outside of the, the Sunday meetings and I was very happy. And then when he, I was five, he married someone else. Now, typical of, of narcissism, at my there it isn't necessarily black and white, meaning that you, if you look in, at 
look up the word narcissist and also gaslighting, which quite often they do go hand in hand. In fact, gaslighting in 2022 was deemed the number one uh, looked up word by Merriam-Webster. So there are buzzwords, narcissism and, and gaslighting go hand in hand quite often. Not always, but, but most often. My dad used to always tell me I was too sensitive to quit wearing my feelings on my sleeve. Uh, um, when I questioned him about something, I either had heard it wrong, uh, he didn't say it, or that I had misunderstood. It was never his fault. It was always mine. Dad always wanted something bigger and better. He was in in quite a competition, mostly with my uncle. My uncle bought a, a boat. Dad had to buy a bigger and better one and those kinds of things. So the web in my, the title of my book is really about all of the learned behaviors and limiting beliefs that I uh, developed over the course of time. Um, although I wasn't aware of what they were called until much later in life. You know, just like a baby learns um, to roll over and then to crawl and those kinds of things, that's how um, my learned behaviors stacked on for me. Um, I was always grounded in my room because I was, uh, I was always wrong. I, he, I was accused of doing things that I didn't do. Um, he was very suspicious of all of, of the things that I did, even when I was was younger. I was always grounded and sent to my room. And looking back on that, I realized that that was a way of controlling me because he was afraid that I would do something um, that I wasn't supposed to and get into trouble. Um, so fast forward a little bit. I married my first husband right out of high school. And not only was he a narcissist, he also had a drinking problem. Um, and when we first got married, I thought that I needed to fix him. I actually did his GED testing for him so he could get his high school diploma and always, always trying to fix him. I learned out, learned later that that was enabling, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But my motivation was so that he could get a better job and thus be a better provider once he got out of the Navy. Um, when um, we had been married about four months or so, and he was getting ready to uh, go on a deployment, a long-term deployment overseas. They do, used to do like test runs and such uh, for short periods of time. So he got sent to Fallon, Nevada for um, a three-week uh, deployment. And at which time we had decided that I would get a job since we knew he was going to be deployed uh, long-term in a few months' time. So he got back from that um, three weeks and I picked him up at the, the hangar and told him that I needed to go to work that day. And he got really, really angry with me. He ended up making me quit my job wow. because he insisted that I be home with him that night. Wow. And uh, was very, very angry. It, uh, it hurt us financially, but that's what he wanted. So... In preparation for the long deployment, he uh, set up what's called an allotment, which is where the government sends me a check monthly so that it comes on a regular basis while they're deployed. And when he told me the amount of the allotment, I was flabbergasted because it was two thirds of what his paycheck was. And he didn't earn that much money to begin with. And when I questioned him about it, he said, well, don't you think I deserve a cold one when we get to port and I need some money 
when we, we go in there for spending money. And besides, I'll send you any leftover. Well, the problem with that is that mail wasn't regular. And more than more often than not, I didn't get any money. So I had to make do um, out of nothing, basically. He insisted on calling, making collect calls, which at that time from overseas was extremely expensive. And we talked about that. But, well, I need to talk to you. I need to hear your voice and blah, blah, blah. So it was always about what he needed. Always. Um, he. Uh, um, called me with a confession. He had um, been, uh, he'd done some infidelity and accused me that it was all my fault wow. because we hadn't been able to be intimate before he deployed because I had a baby and wasn't able to. But um, his solution was to buy a book so that I could learn things. And so I got off that call feeling totally um to belittled, confused. I thought things were going well with us and come to find out that I started um, second guessing myself on all of the things that I did. And it became a real thorn in our marriage. Um, I believe that it was the, the crack in the foundation that later ended, ended in divorce. Um, during that time, because I'd had um, such a, a wonderful experience with my grandparents going to church, I thought, well, if I take my child and when we go to church, that, that, that that'll help. Um, I decided to stay in the marriage because I thought that I wasn't capable of doing anything on my own. I wasn't capable of raising my child. So I stayed. And the church thing didn't work out because um, when he got home, he didn't want to go. So that, that got abandoned, although that did stay in the back of my mind throughout the, the course of my marriage. But, um, you know, when the marriage did fall apart, um, I looked at, at ways to fix my world outside of myself. I started going to Al-Anon meetings. And for those of you that don't aren't familiar with Al-Anon, it's a program that is a, a spinoff of Alcoholics Anonymous that is for families or friends of an alcoholic so that they can learn things. And I went kicking and and dragging my heels i did not want to go because it wasn't my fault right it was if he had quit drinking everything would have been dandy you know so i got there and i learned lo and behold that i had some piece of that i had some responsibility um because of the way i reacted and, and my own behaviors contributed to all of that i learned about um enabling what the formal term form of enabling, which is what I did when I um, helped him get his GED test. He could have done that on his own, but, you know, I thought I knew better and, and how to do it quicker, faster. So I, that was a very part of our relationship, but that did partially end to the decline. I also learned about codependency and that is where you are dependent on relationships outside of yourself for um, the feeling that you can feel whole and complete. And I've learned through the years that whole and complete really has to come from within. You have to learn it on your own and develop those skills of self-love and self-caring, which is, which is extremely important. And that's what I do try and teach people as when I work with them. Um, fast forward a little bit, well, not a little bit, several years. Um, my uh, son and his family lived in Maryland and 
my husband and I moved to Maryland just so I could be closer to him. And they ended up, for financial reasons, moving in with us. And they lived with us for about three and a half years. And there was a lot of enabling that I did with them um, and did things for them that that wasn't uh, solicited. And when my granddaughter was about four, well, no, back up about three, um, I came home from work and I was accused of of uh, leaving Tylenol loose in my purse and my granddaughter could have died. And it was this whole big thing. And instead of owning up to it and uh, saying, you know, I'm sorry, those words couldn't come out of my mouth. I had been taught by my dad that anytime you you back down, then that meant you were weak. So I did not um, respond to that very appropriately. Um, looking back on it, I thought, well, gee, what's the big deal? She she didn't die. It was only one pill. And he left the room and I thought I should have said something, anything, but what I said, so now what? Well, about a year and a half or so after that, he sent me an email accusing me of being a narcissist and take declaring that I was no longer going to be allowed to be involved with his life or, or my grandchildren. And that was devastating for me. And I went into a tailspin. I went into a very dark place, was thinking suicide and had a plan all in my head, how I was going to do it. And um, then I started getting busy doing service work, volunteered for different organizations, helping them and those kinds of things, trying to put a Band-Aid on what was really, truly wrong. After that accusation, I started to look at that and I thought, well, gee, am I a narcissist? So I started looking into it. And it was at that time that I learned about narcissism. I had just thought that my dad was controlling. I didn't know about narcissism. Uh, people weren't talking talking about it back then anyway. And uh, so I, I did a deep dive. And what I realized is that um, during writing my book, which was very cathartic for me because I did a deep dive in and looking at my own behaviors through a different lens. And I realized that the things that I had done could have been construed as narcissistic. And, you know, the, um, the all about me, um, all of those, those behaviors. And I've also come to learn that, that a lot of us, or most of us actually, have a little bit of narcissism in us. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Um, what it means is that that sometimes, like say for example, um, when I first started listening to Oprah Winfrey, my thought was, oh, she thinks she's all that in a bag of chips. But what I've learned is that when we judge people um, with those kinds of things, quite often it's our our low self-esteem, our limiting beliefs that are that are shading all of those king- things. And what I've come to believe it that no, she's not all that a bag of chips, or that's not what her thought is. It's really that she's self-confident and has a strong awareness of herself and has done things with herself, has a lot of accomplishments. And I admire the woman what with what she's done and the the things that she how she's created things in her life. So looking at all of those things, um, the 
the book, like I mentioned, is very cathartic for me. And the biggest takeaway from all of that is I learned how I had justified all of my behaviors and all of my actions. Every single one of them, I couldn't back down. Um, I'm not a liar by nature, but there have been a few times when I have lied and I've been called on the carpet about it. And do you think I could say, I'm sorry, you're right, I lied? Mm -mm, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't um, lower myself to that. So my book is about a lot of, um, about all of those behaviors, but I also am real um, uh, determined to really help people not have to go through all of the suffering and pain that I went through as long as I have. You know, I talk about my estrangement with my son. That email was sent um, almost 15 years ago, and I still don't have a relationship with him. I hope that someday that I will. Um, my faith has grown exponentially. I, um, during the, the course of the book, of writing the book, which took me about five years, um, part of that time was because I had technical difficulties, and I won't go into that right now. But anyway, um, so through all that time, I kept saying, you know, God, if you want this book out there, um, I don't know how I'm going to afford to publish it. I don't know any of that, of that stuff. And little by little, you know, I was shown the way to do it. I do um, what's called automatic, uh, or excuse me, pages every morning where I write. And it's kind of like journaling, um, but I also use it as my gratitude, uh, where I give gratitude and prayer um, to God and to know that that this work is important to do. Um, I've had a lot of good feedback from people that have read the book that have been helped already. Um, you know, it, it did go in and become a, a number one international bestseller. So I'm I'm hopeful that it will have a place out there that people can can benefit from it. I talk about the tools that I've used um, throughout the the course of my writing the book because, like I said, it was very cathartic, and there was a lot of pain that I had to go through. Some of those chapters were extremely difficult to write, extremely difficult, and with um, meditation and the use of essential oils have been absolutely key in helping me get through all of that. And of course, prayer. I don't want to minimize that because I've learned um, as time goes on that it is important to to um, ask for help um, for divine help. You can ask your friends, but and that's that's well and good. But divine help is where really where I get my strength and sanity these days. Um, is by utilizing all of that. And I don't have any idea how much time I I have still. Um, do you oh. have any questions for me? Well, listeners, I don't really know what our guests are going to say. And I um, sometimes I'm overwhelmed with the amount of podcasts we do. And I don't always have the best attitude. We start a podcast and then I just get overwhelmed with feelings of love and respect and um, courage for you, Madison, for what you've done. Um, so my heart just sort of opens up and I just go, wow. Um, this is a different book than I thought it was. I thought this was a book about narcissistic people in your life and pointing out that behavior and helping us stay away from narcissistic people. And that's probably part of it. And that's not, it's not healthy to be in narcissistic relationships. 
I mean, you've been in some, but then your um, courage to talk about some of your own journey of self-learning. Um, you know, you re- recognize at times you're enabling, you created codependency. You even maybe had some narcissistic behaviors and maybe we all do. So this isn't a, you know, kiss and tell book. It sounds like this is a book about, you know, the work I've had to do on myself to learn and grow and take responsibility and, and respect for doing that. I mean, I get teary, I get tenderhearted and tears are my eyes as I think about the road you've walked and the courage you've had to look inward at the same time have had difficult um, people in your life making your road harder. Um, I hope our listeners caught this took five years to write um, um, and you didn't know how you'd ever publish it. And through prayer and meditation and um, the different things you found, um, you've figured out how to do this. I love that you had the courage to go to that first meeting um, and you used a phrase, I needed to fix my world outside of myself and just recognized I needed new tools. Um, I can't solve this on my own. And I think we're meant not to solve things on our own listeners. We're meant to reach out to people in our community, people that have walked our road, people that have skills and insights. And that's the gift you're giving to other people, Madison, with this book. And I sense you've been sharing your story. I love um, codependency and where you said, I needed to figure out whole how to be whole and complete and how that comes within. That's really powerful. Um, and I really agree with that is that we need to feel like whole, complete people without um, the validation or meeting the expectations of others. And that takes work, but it gets us in a better spot. Um, to answer your question, we could, we've got 10 more minutes. Um, so you're okay. welcome to well, continue to share there, more there of your are story. Other things that I could talk about. Um, narcissism is also prominent in relationship in friend relationships. Um, I had a friend that um, was uh, was uh, was a friend with someone for five or six years, and every time they would meet, she would come away from the the lunch or the whatever that they were doing, feeling like that she was less than. And it finally dawned on her. Well, it kind of came to a head when her friend um, had had surgery. So my friend went to um, help her to help her recover and stuff because it was a lengthy recovery period. And she lived on a street that you had to pay or had to um, move your car every two hours or you'd get a ticket. So my friend, I'll just call her Julie. Um, Julie went down every two hours and moved her car. And after this went on for a, a, some time, one of the neighbors noticed what she was doing. And she said, well, there's a free parking garage right across the street for people that live here. And when Julie said something about it to her friend, she said, well, that's not my problem. I, I'm not responsible for your car. And she came out of that just thinking, you know, that's the way the whole relationship has been. It's always been about this other person. And I think that narcissism really has, it really bleeds into a lot of different things, different areas. Um, yeah, it's just, um, it's insidious. You know, that there are people that um, have been bullied and, you know, that leads to suicidal thoughts like in myself. Because you don't, you get so confused and all you know is the pain. 
you don't know a way out. Um, and that's what really this book is about to help people understand that they don't have to do it alone. They just don't have to do it alone. Uh, prayer and and the force of, uh, not the force, well, yeah, I guess it is a force of strength that we can garner from leaning in is so helpful. It's just so helpful. You know, I, I read a lot of books and, and books are good, but you still have to do the work. And I think it's really important to understand all of that. Um, Gaslighting is, a, is another thing that a lot of people, when they're in a narcissistic relationship, they are the recipient of that. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the movie Gaslight. I'm not. But, um, um, it was actually a play at one time, but it went on to become a movie that had Ingrid Berman. And I can't remember the gentleman, the actor, but he found out that they met someplace and he found out that uh, she was inheriting a sizable um inheritance from her aunt so he weaseled her way into her life you know very charming and you know she thought that he was the love of her life all of those kinds of things and as soon as they got married he started gaslighting her meaning that he started doing things uh, he messed with the light bulbs so that they flickered and when she said something about it, oh no they don't hence the gaslight wow. but he would do kinds of things in his objective was to make her feel like she was crazy so that he could put her in an institution, have her declare, declared insane and get the money was his motive. And I'm not saying all gaslighters do that, but the way, the methods that they use, um, they're always full of bravado. And sometimes people think, oh, well, that's really a good guy. You, you, you should marry that guy. But they don't know what's going on behind closed doors. They don't know all of the accusations, the name calling, um, and all of those kinds of behaviors, which are also typical of a narcissist. My dad didn't deploy all of them, but if you look in the um, DSM-5, which is the, the book that um, psychologists or psychiatrists use to for, for diagnoses, there's a bunch of behaviors listed in there and to be to, to declared uh, an official narcissistic personality disorder you have to have many of those behaviors to, to qualify in air quotes of that. And so it, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And I really hope the listeners can you know, maybe take a look at some of their relationships. And, and I'm not suggesting that they say, oh, you're a narcissist and, and I'm out of here. But it gives pause to really think about some of your own behaviors, uh, some of the things that we're doing ourselves to take a look at that and see if maybe there's a better way to handle things, a better way to say things when you're in a, a conflict with somebody. And that's, that's the hope of the book, you know, something that I wrote. Um, it's actually placed at the beginning of the book, but it really speaks to how I, what I believe is that the beacon of a lighthouse guides sailors safety to shore. My hope is that this book can serve as your guiding light helping you find your way home, home to your true self. And that's really what this is all about. Um, thank you, Madison. Um, you're thoughtful, you're articulate, you know the content really well, you communicate it well, you have lived experiences. 
Um, I want to read this book, listeners, not only for the personal insights, I, you know, but the things in in my family, but, you know, I think organizationally, orga- you know, I thinking back on some of my prior bosses or maybe where I could have been a better boss and, and organizations that may fall into these same trends. And so I think it's good to re- read this book through a few different sets of eyes and all the different relationships we have is what can we do better and and help us understand if we're in an unhealthy relationship. Um, just like you're talking about your younger self, you don't realize that. And you may, may think it's your fault, why it's not your fault. So it's really brave of you to write this book. It could just be theoretical, and this is what the DSM says. And But I think it's um, very brave of you, and and it makes it more meaningful to readers when you have the courage to share some of your story and the vulnerability. So um, thank you. Listeners, we'll um, link to Madison Frederick's book in the show notes, Untangle the Web of Narcissism from Deceit and Chaos to Finding Your Sanity. That book is well-named. And anything else you'd like to say in conclusion, Madison? Based, um, I would, anybody that's doing any healing work on themselves, Understand that it doesn't, you don't go through it and get healed all overnight. I've been on this journey for over 30 years. And it's important to be kind to yourself, you know, not to beat yourself up for anything you said or did or did or didn't, didn't do, all of those kinds of things, because it, it, it comes in pieces. Just like I said, a baby learns to turn over, they learn to crawl, and they sit up, and on and on it goes. It's the same way with healing, a little piece at a time. Thank you. Um, this is Madison Frederick and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>